And that will be it for the book of Hebrews, sermon 67. That's like what, year and uh, four months, I guess, in Hebrews? I was... That's right. But yeah, we'll stop at <laughs> an overview. <laughs> Just go over the outlines. All right, so uh, today we're going to stop at this last passage. This is like really the heart of chapter 13. Um, and when, you, when we study it together, you're going to know why. One thing about this passage is that I always wanted to study this passage. The reason is it appears to me that it's kind of like bunch of random thoughts that the author, uh, the, uh, the author of Hebrews is just throwing in. And now part of it is just hard to understand what exactly he's talking about. So I always wanted to spend time to, to, to read and study this passage, so I'm glad I got to do that this week. And actually, after you study it, you're going to find out that these verses are not really random. He has a thought that he's trying to present to his readers, and they're kind of like linked together, every single one of these verses. So today, let's read um, Hebrews 13, uh, 7 to 16. Here is what the author of Hebrews says. Remember your leader who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. It is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace, not by eating ceremonial foods. That's from the NIV, by the way, the NIV translation. Which is of no benefit to those who do so. We have an altar from which those who minister at the tabernacle have no right to eat. The high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy, to sanctify the people through his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing his disgrace, bearing the disgrace he bore. For here we, we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of our lips that openly professes his name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. Amen? Amen. All right, so the author of Hebrews uh, in, in, in chapter 13 is pretty much giving his readers his absolute final, final remarks because he closes the passage. Remember what the book of Hebrews is written to? It is written to Jewish people who wanted to leave because of persecution and go back to Judaism. So these are his absolute final thoughts after he argued over and over and over the supremacy of Christ, the supremacy of the New Testament, the supremacy of Christianity, the supremacy of the New Covenant. Now he's giving them his final remarks because he closed that before he closed the epistles. So in verse seven, he's saying this: Remember your leader who spoke to you the word of who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of the of the way of their life and imitate their faith. 
from the context, it appears like, but obviously we don't know for sure, is that these leaders that the author of Hebrews here is talking about is the people who kind of brought the gospel to them, and it appears that they're not anymore in touch with the church because either they died because of persecution or for one reason or another, they're not there anymore. They, they're the passed on leaders. So the author of Hebrews here is saying, remember the ones that brought you the gospel, remember the way they lived and make sure that you imitate them. Now he jumps into verse eight, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. And it appears like verse eight is kind of like coming out of nowhere. What is this? Has anything to do with Remember your leaders. But actually verse eight should be understood in its context, which is verse seven verse, and verse eight and verse nine. Now look at verse nine, what he says. Do not be carried away by all kind of what? Strange, Strange teachings. So what is happening between verse seven and verse nine? Verse seven, the leaders that brought them the gospel that presented to them the truth have now passed on. And verse nine, now there is what? strange teachings from other apparently new teachers in their midst. And in the middle of that, the author of Hebrews say, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So it appears that in verse eight, the author of Hebrews is not talking about the immutability of Christ, the fact that Jesus never changes. He does never change, right? He's definitely unchangeable, everlasting, from all eternity to all eternity. But it doesn't appear like this is what the author of Hebrews is talking about here. He already talked about that in, in chapter one, remember? When he said, when he's quoting the Old Testament, Psalm 102 in reference to Christ, and he said, and you Lord, talking about Jesus, in the beginning you have laid the foundation of the earth and the heavens and the work of your hand. The old perish, but you, remain. Remember that? And then it says, they all grow old, but you are the same and your, your years will never fail. So in Hebrews 1, in that verse, the author of Hebrews is definitely talking about the immutability of Christ. But here it doesn't seem like he's talking about the immutability of Christ. Rather, he's talking about the immutability of the message of the gospel or the immutability of Christ being the center of the message that they have heard, that it always be this way, that Jesus is the center of the correct teaching from God. You guys are with me? Because now things are changing, and now they are being exposed to strange teaching. Apparently, these teachings are taking the Jesus out of the center and trying to focus on other things. So the author of Hebrews is saying, don't be swayed by strange teachings. The message of the gospel never change. Jesus being the center of God's message never change. It's the same yesterday, today, and forever. What happened to them yesterday? Yesterday is the day they heard about Jesus and they received the message, the true, correct message that was delivered to them, right? What is today for them? It is persecution. They, bring, they are being in the midst of persecution. And the author of Hebrews is telling them, don't be swayed by strange teachings. They are being exposed to strange teaching today. And the author of Hebrews is telling them, don't be swayed by strange teaching today. Because the message you heard yesterday is the same today. So use that to oppose any strange teaching. Not only yesterday and today, but also forever. 
And in the book of Hebrews, the word forever is usually associated with the perfect salvation that Jesus has brought for us on the cross. Over and over, the word forever is just associated with that. So here he's telling them that message that you heard yesterday, that stand in contrast opposition to the strange teaching today, will always remain forever the same, that Jesus is the center of the good news of God because of on the cross and that will never change amen so you guys see the link that he's how how his thought process is going he's not just throwing some random thoughts here and there now verse 9 let's look into the kind of strange teachings that they are being exposed to verse 9 don't be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings he's trying to elaborate on what kind of strange teachings they're being exposed to and he says this, it is good for the hearts to be, for our hearts to be strengthened by what? Grace and not by eating ceremonial foods, which is of no benefit to those who do so. Right? Now, it appears that some of the teaching that they're being exposed to is that some people start putting emphasis on foods certain kind of ceremonial foods that they say this is important to bring you to God or this is important in your walk with God. So the author of Hebrews is saying, remember, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, yesterday, today, and forever. Don't be swayed by some strange teaching because the only thing that strengthens our heart is not the outward ordinance, but the inside power of the grace of God that will help us to keep walking with him. You guys are with me? Now, this idea of food strengthen your walk with God or any outside ordinance that strengthen your walk with God have been apparently in other churches as well. We read about it in, in the church in Corinthians, the church in Corinth, and the church in Colossae. They all had that kind of same teaching, some kind of same ritual outside ordinance that going to help their walk with God. However, it appears that here in Hebrews, the author of Hebrews is particularly referring to ceremonial foods in regard of the sacrifices of the Old Testament. Remember, they were Jews and they became Christian, right? Yep. And because they were Jews, they're, they're accustomed to the sacrificial system of the Old Testament. And some of these sacrifices, not all of it, but some of it, after it's being sacrificed, the people can eat out of it, right? So apparently here, we don't know for sure, but this is more likely than less likely, that the author of Hebrews here is bringing them back or they are being exposed to some teaching that they need that kind of sacrificial system and participate in these kind of foods in order for them to come close to God. So the author of Hebrews here is rebuttaling that and he's saying, it is the grace of God that strengthens your heart. It is your inner being, empowerment of the Holy Spirit that help you walk with God, not any, south, any outside ordinance that will help you to walk with God. Amen? Amen. And then he says, which the outside ordinance is of no benefit to those who do so. Amen? Now, now he jumped to verse 10, which again appears to be absolutely random and has not, I don't know, people, some know what he's talking about here. He says, we have an altar from which those who minister at the tabernacle have no right to eat. What in God's name is he talking about, right? 
And this verse has been always confusing to me, but when you read it in the context and when you set the whole passage together, you're going to see that he has a very clear thought that he's trying to process. Remember what he just said in verse 9? He's contrasting two things together. What is it? Foods, ceremonial foods, and God's grace. So that's the background of verse, of verse 10 here. He's saying, with that background, he's saying, we have an altar from which those who minister at the tabernacle have no right to eat. And then in verse 11, still continuing that thought, he's, again, not throwing some random ideas, has nothing to do with each other. In verse 11 and verse 12, he start bringing more specific attention to the day of atonement when God will order the ordained one that one day, once a year, so that the high priest will atone for the sin of the whole people. You guys are with me? So verse 10 here, we have an altar from which those who minister at the tabernacle have no right to eat, links this stuff together. Links the contrast between the ceremonial feet and the grace of God and helps us to launch into understanding what's happening in the Day of Atonement. You guys are with me? What the author of Hebrews is talking about here in verse 10 is a reference to what happens also in that Day of Atonement. Remember that? Day of Atonement? Talked about that for a few weeks when we started Chatters of Golgotha. On the Day of Atonement, you guys remember the high priest entered into the Holy of Holies, right? How many times in that day? Twice. But it's only one day in the year and the high priest will enter twice. The first time he entered with the blood of bull for his own sins and the sins of his own family, his own personal stuff. And then he comes out and he entered back in into the Holy of Holies with the blood of a goat. Remember all of that? For the sin of the people. We talked about this. Now, the, the actual bull that is used to atone for the sin, the, uh, the Bible tells us in Leviticus uh, 16 that they take the body of that bull after it's being killed and they take the whole thing outside the camp and they burn it with fire, so much so that nothing is left of it. You guys are with me? So, the high priest and the people of Israel who ministered in the tabernacle at that time has no right to eat of the food of the flesh of that bull. You guys are with me? There are, yes, absolutely. There are some other sacrifices that they can eat from, but this particular bull, this particular sacrifice in the Day of Atonement, they have no right, those who minister in the tabernacle have no right to eat from that food, from that bull. You guys are with me? Now, the author of Hebrews here in verse 10 is telling his readers how much superior Remember, the whole book is about the supremacy of the Son of God, right? He's telling them how far superior is the sacrifice of Christ versus the sacrifice of the Old Testament and the Day of Atonement. And part of the supremacy of the sacrifice of Christ versus the blood, the sacrifices that was offered in the Old Testament and the Day of Atonement is this. In the Old Testament, the inferior system, no high priest or minister of the tabernacle can participate, can eat of that sacrifice. You guys are with me? Far more superior than that is Jesus, our sacrifice in the New Testament. Yes, it's by his blood that our sins can be atoned for, but unlike the sacrifice of the Old Testament, we actually can spiritually eat and feed off Jesus. You guys are with me? 
which takes us backward to verse 9 when he's contrasting ceremonial outside ordinance food versus the grace of God. How do you strengthen in the context? How do you strengthen your heart with grace? By feeding on Christ, the spiritual food, not the ceremonial ordinance outside food. You guys follow the thought of the author of Hebrews here. Amen? We have an altar. The word altar here is pretty much synonymous with sacrifice. He's saying we have a sacrifice. We have an altar. Unlike them in the Old Testament, they were not able to participate, to eat out of that sacrifice. But we have the right to eat of the new sacrifice of Christ. And that's how you can strengthen your heart by grace. You guys follow his thoughts so far? Nobody? One person? Okay. Now, building on that. Now, remember, he's bringing to our attention the Day of Atonement, right? And what's happening in the Day of Atonement. Building on that, he's launching to verse 11 and verse 12 and verse pretty much 13. And um, yeah, verse 11, 12, and 13. He's using verse 10 as a launching pad so we can explain more about the Day of Atonement and what happens at the Day of Atonement. Amen? He says this, if the high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering, but the bodies are being burned outside the camp, remember that's the rituals of what happens at the Day of Atonement, so in the same way, in the same manner, and so Jesus also suffered outside the physical city camp, outside of Jerusalem, to make the people holy through his own blood. We spend the whole sermon talking about these two verses. Remember, sanctified by the blood of Jesus. We spend the whole time talking about this verse. The author of Hebrews here is drawing an analogy, a comparison. And he's saying, just like in the Old Testament, in Leviticus chapter 16, the high priest, after he slaughtered that bull, after he takes that blood of that bull to atone for his own sin, and for, for his own sin, he takes that bull outside the camp, and he burn it, and that bull would suffer outside the camp. Jesus, the author of Hebrews here, finding a picture of what happened to Christ literally when he was crucified. Remember when Jesus was crucified on Mount Golgotha, he was crucified outside the gate of Jerusalem. His cross, he went outside the city, and that's where he suffered. And the author of Hebrews say what Jesus did was actually a fulfillment of the picture that we see in the Day of Atonement in Leviticus chapter 16. Just as by the blood of the animal bull in the Old Testament, the people of God were sanctified and their sins were atoned for, so in the same way, when Jesus suffered and was burned by the fire of God, who's consuming fire from last week, remember that? Also Jesus atoned for our sin and sanctified us and brought us close to God. Amen? Amen. So this is it. I'm not going to dwell on it because we have a whole sermon on it. You can go back. Verse 13, let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore, bearing his disgrace. Now, we also talked about this, but let me refresh your memory. Outside the camp, in the Jewish culture, in the Old Testament, is associated with shame and disgrace. Remember that? When Miriam... um, when Miriam, who is Moses' sister and Aaron's sister, sinned against Moses and against God and started complaining about Moses marrying the Christian woman, and God struck her with leprosy, right? 
And what did they do when she was struck with leprosy? They put her outside the camp for seven weeks. And in that contest, God said this. Moses is praying and said, God, heal Miriam. And God said, if her father would have spit on her face, would not she be ashamed for seven days? So I'm going to leave her in her shame for seven days. But where was that shame? It was outside the camp. Because once she was stricken with that leprosy, she was kicked outside the camp. And that's for seven days. Miriam was feeling the shame of sinning against God because she was cast outside the camp. Amen? Another example of shame outside the camp. In, in the law of leprosy, in, in the Old Testament, if you're a leper, you have to be cast outside the camp, outside the gates of Jerusalem. Because inside is the presence of God. That's where holiness is. Outside is where shame is. So much so that if somebody is going in or out Jerusalem of that time, and he does not realize that there is a bunch of lepers or a leper person over there, then the leper person is required that they will cover their mustache, which is for a man in the Old Testament, this is like a sign of humiliation. And, and shame. They have to cover their mustache, they have to cover their faces, and they have to cry out to get the attention of the person who's going closer to the city or getting out of the city and not noticing them. They have to cry out and say, unclean, unclean, unclean. You guys remember all of that? Oh, yeah. Yes. So outside the camp is always associated with shame. It's always associated with humiliation. That's why Jesus, when he suffered, suffered outside the camp because he bore the shame of sin on our behalf. So much so that in Psalm 69, if I remember correctly, Jesus cried out to God, obviously it's a prophecy, and he's saying, the shame has broken my heart. Right? Jesus bore the shame and the reproach of God, and that's what was manifested on the cross. Jesus suffered outside the camp because shame was outside the camp. We talked about this plenty before, so I'm going to draw your attention now to that part. Let us then go outside the camp to him bearing the disgrace he bore. What the author of Hebrews is telling them is this. You are being persecuted. You are being mocked because of the sake of the name of Jesus. But guess what? That's okay. We are expected to bear the exact same shame that he bore for our, on our behalf. Amen? To the exact same level that Jesus was humiliated and was ashamed. It's okay for us to be humiliated and ashamed for his name's sake. And the exact same exhortation that the author of Hebrews gave his reader when they were facing persecution still stand correct today to you and me in the midst of a culture and a world that absolutely reject Christ and despise everything about him. Let us bear his shame. It's okay to be humiliated, not because you're doing bad things, but because of the sake of the Amen? Let me drive this point home a little bit. A, little, a lot of Christians would not like to share the gospel with their friends or whatever. Because you know why? Because they're afraid that they're going to be mocked. They're going to be rejected. And they say, I, I just don't, you know, maybe it's not what is fit for our culture today. But you know what? The scripture says something totally different. Regardless of the culture, we are called to share the gospel with people. To share 
with people. If they mock us, so be it. If they humiliate us, so be it. If they slam the door in your face, so be it. Whatever, they, whatever shame they put you through, so be it. Because we are called to bear the exact level of shame that Jesus has bore for you and me in order to provide us salvation. Amen? Amen. Let us then go to him outside the camp, the camp bearing the disgrace he bore. Why? Here it is. For we, for here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking forward to the one that is to come. Amen? Amen. What the author of Hebrews is telling them is this. Remember, you are eternally focused, not now focused. This is not your city. This is not your world. This is not really your house. Everything for you is yet to come. When Jesus comes and takes you home, that's when we're going to be in that city. The one whose architect and builder is God. Remember that? The author of Hebrews talked about that city over and over. He said that Abraham and all the patriarchs of the Old Testament did not want to go back to where they came from because they were looking forward to that city whose architect and builder is God. In Hebrews 12, he said that you have come, right? Remember that? We just talked about it a few weeks ago. We have come to the heavenly city, the heavenly Jerusalem, right? That's why he said in, in chapter 12. And now he's reminding them again, you should not be so focused on the now and the present. You should be so focused on the future and the promises and the fulfillment of God's promises that he has for us in Jesus. And if you focus on that, then as a result of that, you will be okay to say okay to shame. Because you're not worried about the people, you're worried about the God who ultimately you're going to answer to. Amen? I tell you, it's going to be impossible. I'll just let you the truth, let you know the truth. It's going to be impossible to be okay with to be ashamed for the sake of Jesus now and here centered it's just impossible if you're going to be so worried about what people are going to think about you it's going to be so impossible for you to bear the shame of Christ amen but when you think about eternity and the people spending eternity without God when you get jealous for the sake of the name of Christ that you have all these other false gods being lifted up as high as his name when you get jealous for the things that eternal the things that matter then you will despise the shame just like what Jesus did he despised the shame and he endured the cross. Amen? Amen? Verse 15. Through Jesus therefore. Now, still the author of Hebrews has not changed his mind. He's still talking about the day of atonement and that, that, that's his context. That's what he's still elaborating on. So remember that in the Old Testament, it is through the high priest that sacrifices were offered. Remember that? And it is through the high priest that atonement was made. And every if somebody sins and have a sin offering, they bring it to that priest or the high priest. And then they offer it on behalf of the sinner for God. So the author of Hebrews say, remember that in the New Testament, Jesus is our high priest. Amen. And just like sacrifices were offered through the high priest in the Old Testament. So in the same way, in the New Testament, you can also offer your sacrifices through Jesus Christ. Amen. In the book of Hebrews, the word through Jesus was mentioned many times. Let's just highlight these. Number one, we see that God has spoke to us or the word of God has came to us through Jesus, right? Remember that? And, um, well, 
God has made the worlds. That's the first one in chapter 1, verse 2. It says, God, who in time past has spoke to us in different ways, in different manners, through the prophets, has in these last times spoke to us how? In his son. And then it says, through whom he has made the worlds. Remember that? So through Jesus, things came to existence. Number two, through Jesus, we heard the message of the gospel. That's why he said in chapter 2, verse 3, he said this. How, can, how shall we escape if we neglect such a greater salvation that has spoken to us first through the Lord and then was confirmed to us by his apostle? Remember that? Number three, through Jesus, you can find salvation to the utmost. And that's in, verse, in chapter 7, verse 25. It says this, because he lives forever, Jesus is able to save to the utmost those who come to God. How? Through him. It's through Jesus that we have salvation to the utmost. Here in Hebrews 13 verse, verse 15, it is through Jesus that we can offer sacrifices to God. Amen? And the last one in Hebrews 13, 21 in the passage that we're just going to glance over. It says this, may God equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him. How? Through Jesus Christ to whom be glory and honor forever and forever. Amen. So it's through Jesus that God can do all his good works and good will in us. But here in verse 15, the author, 6, 15 and 16, the author of Hebrews is saying that Jesus, our high priest, through whom we can offer sacrifices to God. And then he named two specific sacrifices. Amen? Remember in the Old Testament, people would bring sacrifices to God. That concept has not changed. Sacrifices are still being brought to God under the New Testament, under the New Covenant. It's just different kind of sacrifices. Amen? We don't bring blood sacrifices anymore because the blood of Jesus is all sufficient. We don't need any more blood sacrifices. Amen? Amen. But we bring two different kind of sacrifices the author of Hebrews is talking about here. We bring the sacrifice of praise and we bring the sacrifice of good works to do good to one another. These are sacrifices. When, think about that. When you praise God, God look at this as you're offering him a sacrifice. Isn't that awesome? When you go out of your way to bless somebody else, God look at that deed as if you're offering him a sacrifice. Just like in the Old Testament, people will offer God sacrifices. Amen? And these are not just average sacrifices. These are the sacrifices that is pleasing to God. God looks at these sacrifices and say, man, I like that. Amen? Remember in the Old Testament when they burn the sacrifice and it says it will ascend as a sweet smelling aroma to God. God look at that sacrifice and he's just so pleased with it. It's in the same way when you offer God the sacrifice of praise or when you do good to other people, God smells in that a sweet smelling aroma. It is very pleasing to him. Amen? Amen. Let's highlight, touch base real quick here. Number one, the sacrifice of praise. But look at that. Through Jesus, therefore, let us periodically offer to God the sacrifice of praise. Does it say that? What does it say? Every now and then? When all your needs are met? When everything is going good? What does it say? Continually. 
These people, remember, these people that the author of Hebrews is writing his book to are persecuted to the point. Remember, they were ashamed, they were put into prison, their houses were taken, and they were even so stressed to the point that they even thought about leaving Christianity, leaving Christ altogether and go back to Judaism. This is how stressful their situation is, right? And what does the author of Hebrews tell them? Let us offer God a sacrifice of praise. I don't know, it's really hard to offer God sacrifice of praise when your house has been taken, when your wife, your kids has been taken away from you, and all of this trouble you're going through, when you're being absolutely persecuted, when you're being put to shame, that's what he said earlier, you do the shame, when everything is happening this way to you because you want to honor Christ, and when you do that, everything wrong goes your way, and in response, the author of Hebrews say, make sure you always praise God. That's something. That's where the rubber meets the road. Amen. That's it. That's, That's it, Michael. Right That's it, Michael. So let's therefore continually, continually, when it's a high day and when it's a low day, when it's rich, when it's poor, when you're healthy, when you're sick, no matter what comes your way, let us continually offer God a sacrifice of praise. I'm preaching to myself. I'm the first one who would complain when things doesn't work out right, right? Let us continually offer God the sacrifice of praise. What is that sacrifice? It is the fruit of our lips that is openly profess his name. That part, the fruit of our lips, is actually a quote from the Old Testament, from the book of Hosea, chapter 14, verse 2. This is what Hosea said. Take words and return to the Lord and say to him, forgive all our sin and receive us graciously that we may offer the fruit of our lips. Actually, some translation has it as the bulls. Remember the bulls and the goats? He said the bulls of our lips. So in other words, in Hosea, the words that you offer to God is perceived as exact same sacrifices that was offered under the Old Testament rules. And that's what the author of Hebrews is referring to here. He's saying just as the priest and the minister of God will enter into the tabernacle with the sacrifices of sin offering, peace offering, trespass offering, all sorts of offering, you also in the same way have sacrifices to continually offer before God. It is the sacrifice of praise that God will look at and he will be very well pleased. That will be a sweet smelling aroma to him when you trust him, when you praise him, when everything is going wrong your way. Amen? But not only that. It says that openly profess his faith, his name. That's just a common phrase from the book of Psalms when he says, open my mouth, Lord God, and I will praise your name. That's how you do it. You just praise and lift up his name, the name of Jesus, his character, everything that he is. Verse 16 and do not forget, and do not forget to do good and to share with others. For with such sacrifices, God is pleased. Again, do good and share with others. For with such sacrifices, God is pleased. Again, when we do good to other people, whether they're Christians or not, whether we love them or not, whether they love us or not, whatever, when you do good and you share with other people, remember this, every time you do this, God looks at you and he is very well 
pleased. Amen? I don't know. Pleasing God. That might be something we can talk about sometime. Like, what is the stuff that is pleasing God throughout the scripture? Here is one of them. To do good and to share with others because that's what pleases the heart of God. Amen? Do you, want, do you want God to be pleased with you? Do you want him to look at you and smile and say, hey, I'm smelling here such a sweet smelling aroma. I love what you just did. Do you want God to, to do that to you? Smile at you this way. Anybody? Nobody? Okay. One person. Good. If you want that, then remember to do good and to share with others and to continually through Christ offer a sacrifice of praise. Amen? So after all this passage is now really totally random, there is reason for the madness here behind what the author of Hebrews is telling us. Amen? Amen? Can we close our eyes and pray?